Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your host, Ned Shaw. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your children. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. These stories will connect us and allow us to continue to grow into the men fatherhood is calling us to be. I bring each guest on due to a specific story they have shared with me, one that I think will help men everywhere. I would like to introduce you to my friend, Hoy Kim. Welcome, Hoy. Hey, Ned. Thanks for having me. Really humbled to be here. Yeah, man. We have been friends for almost 10 years, and we both started off as youth pastors, and that's what connected us. And uh, now we have the pleasure of working together uh, for the last three years at the same company, which has been really cool. Yeah, it really has. Cool. So to start, I like to give everybody kind of a quick understanding of where you are in life. Okay. Okay. So to start off, how long have you been married? 14 years. 14 years. It's a long time. Yeah. And how old are you? 40. 40. <laughs> okay. Four zero. That's awesome. And you have two kids. Yes. How old are they? Um, the two that I know of, they are t- 12 and 10. 12 and 10. <laughs> Boys, girls. So the 12-year-old boy and 10-year-old girl. Awesome. Awesome. What do your kids call you? So when they refer to you, do they call you dad? What do they call you? Yeah. So to keep it appropriate for this podcast, they, I will say they call me dad. Yeah. So Elijah calls me dad, and then my daughter Dahlia, she calls me daddy. Yeah. Which is kind of cute. Yeah. No, I love it. Violet, I only have one kid that calls me daddy, but I just love it. I hope it never changes. But we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard kids call their dads other things. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so f- how would you describe your job just in a couple sentences to help us kind of understand where when you're not being awesome dad at home, you are spending some of your time? Yeah, uh, I work with small business employers and their employees to help them select health insurance plans that best meet the needs of them, their families and themselves. Got it. All right, so as you know, rebel and create are words that I live by. And what it reminds me is kind of a mantra you see on the wall right there, is to rebel against the view that my actions as a man have little impact and to create a life engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. So when you personally think of rebelling and creating, what is something that you are currently rebelling against, which is then giving you space to create something else? Yeah, um, I would say I'm really rebelling against the idea of the American dream. Um, I love that it's called the American dream because that's really what it is. It's a dream. It's a fantasy. It's not an American reality. Um, I'm also rebelling against the idea of consumerism and consumption that somehow buying more, having more things somehow brings you more satisfaction. And I don't believe that to be true. And being in the middle of American society, culture, and economy, um, that's a difficult thing to rebel against, but that is certainly something that I am every day very much choosing to do. Yeah. So why? So what are you creating out of that? And maybe give us an example. Like what's an example of something you've gotten rid of or said no to? Yeah. Yeah. um, I mean, just a simple thing. And this is just 
the tip of the iceberg, but choosing not to feel though as though I need an unlimited data plan on my mobile phone. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to pay $100 a month or whatever it is to have an unlimited data plan on my mobile phone when if I can choose to be willing to sacrifice, I guess, this false sense of security that having unlimited data on your phone gives you, whether it be security because you feel like you can always be entertained by watching as many YouTube videos or whatnot. Um, If I'm willing to give that up, you know, I can do what I'm doing now and be on a prepaid mobile plan that gives me three gigs a month at only $15 a month. Yeah, I mean, shoot, that's huge. Yeah, so what am I doing with that extra $85 a month? Well, there's plenty I can do. Right. You know, I can take the kids out to, to do something together. Not buy them stuff, but it enables me to use my finances in a way that creates memories and to invest time with my family. In hearing you say that and think about it, I, I think sometimes people will go, oh my gosh, that's unattainable. You know, like, I, I couldn't do that. There's, there's no way. But what I'll say about Hoy in knowing you is I think that you, I mean, you haven't had an unlimited data plan in, I think, two and a half years. So when I first, three years ago, I remember you had a flip phone, right? <laughs> yes, I had an old like, school Motorola Razor. I'm like, there's no way this guy's getting around with a flip phone. But my point in bringing it up is not that you caved on your ideal, but that you were willing to be flexible with yourself. Because I think sometimes people are like, oh, I just don't do this, right? And they just kind of hold their billboard up. Whereas for you, it's not about the, I don't have an Apple phone. It's more, I'm making decisions that are better for me and my finances and my time than it is like an ideal. You're trying to find what works for you. Yeah. So I think that's cool and good for people to hear because then it's like, well, I could just cancel everything, go to the flip phone and kind of try that. And then maybe I get a little bit of data or just think about it. I think that's the main thing is think about it. Don't just be like everybody else. I think you need to think critically about all the choices that you make as mundane as they might seem. Yeah. I'm interrupting this important conversation that you probably just started getting into with a big announcement. During the month of November and the beginning of December 2019, I need your help and this is all hands on deck. I've created a daily journal designed to help dads like you and I stay focused on being the engaged and intentional fathers we desire to be. Do you ever feel like I do sometimes, like you're not cutting it, you're not hitting the mark as a father? Well, my hope is that this journal would be one tool that could help you get there. But... It will not come to market unless it is funded. We are doing this through a crowdfunding website where it's all or nothing. So please go to our Instagram or Facebook at Rebel and Create and follow links to our Kickstarter campaign for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal. Or you can go to kickstarter.com and in the search put in Fatherhood Legacy Journal or Rebel and Create Fatherhood Legacy Journal and it'll pop up and we need your help. So please buy a journal for yourself, for a friend, or for a dad that you know. We would so appreciate it because we believe fatherhood matters and we're doing all we can to spread the word and create tools that will help support dads everywhere. And now back to that important conversation you were just getting into. Yeah, big one just kind of off that is how do you wake up your kids? Like something stupid like that. How do you wake them up? Can I be intentional about that? Sure. Right? And I think if we looked at our whole day like that and not criticize everything we did, but thought through our decisions. 
So cool. So you're rebelling and you're creating. And that really kind of leads us into why I thought it would be valuable for people to hear us have a conversation is about some of the other decisions that you are currently making. So you made a comment that I think every woman at least would want to hear. (laughs) And you're making some decisions right now in your life. And you said, I'm going to do what my wife wants to do for once. (laughs) What got you to that thought? Well, we first moved to where we are now because because of my school. My school moved from the Bay Area to Northern California, and I had to move with the school to finish out my degree. Um, at that same time, we got married and we moved together. And so my plan was to move back to Boston after I graduated. Um, and my wife was really excited about that idea too, but that obviously didn't work out the way that the plan that we that we had planned. Right. You know, I got a job and I got other jobs and then we bought a house and we had kids. And so we found ourselves in a position where we're just stuck here. And all along, my wife was just kind of dragged along in the process. She's been super gracious about it. It's not like she's nagging or complaining or whining about it. But I know this is not ideal for her in a lot of ways. So... I find myself in a position where I have the freedom to make some decisions that don't revolve around me or my career or what I'm doing, but really for her. Hmm. So I'm moving her to San Diego and she's letting the rest of the family come with her, which I think (laughs) is nice. (laughs) So what led to that place of, okay, we're having this American dream, got a college degree, got jobs, paid the bills, had kids in school. You kind of get into routine life. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment you decide, wait a second, we've been doing everything, maybe not that you wanted, but everything kind of revolved around your decisions. Yeah, yeah. So what led to realizing that she didn't want that? She wasn't upset, but you just knew she had wanted other things. Yeah, yeah. Um... I think it was the routine. It was it was no real change or progress. It was just kind of the same thing every day, every year. And I think some people can translate that as safe or secure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also dangerous because you become complacent. And then you don't consider that there are other possibilities. So I began thinking that there are other possibilities and asking myself, well, what are those other possibilities? Which then caused me to become more aware of the sacrifices that my wife has made in the many years that we've been married, yeah. really for me and for my family. Um, and she's done it so graciously. Um, so, so this was my turn to really honor her that was there a, a certain moment, right? So you're talking about the kind of the mundane, the day-to-day, the routine. Did anything change or a specific, like somebody might say, a specific fight or a specific realization or you went on a trip to somewhere or yeah, whatever? Was there something that you started to go, oh my goodness, what are the other possibilities? Yeah, yeah. So the thing that really frightened me about even pursuing other possibilities was that I had kind of a slice of the American dream. Right. You know, I was 
relatively well-educated. I own our own home, right? And those are kind of things that you don't really want to give up on, especially owning your own home. That's a big deal. People put a lot of stock in their own home. They look at it as their golden ticket to some degree of prosperity and security in the future when Mm -hmm. they retire. And so I had this fear that, man, I just can't let that go. And so that was the thing that I was really hold on, holding on to. Was the home. Yeah, was the home and not being able to let that go to move on. So there was that fear and I would say it was probably about a year or so ago. We were driving from Northern California up to the Seattle area to visit my mom. Kids and wife were in the car and uh, going to visit grandma. And I was listening to this song and I can't remember the title of the song, but I know the lyrics where it says something like, um, you make me brave. Hmm. And this is a Christian song that's referring to um, how our trust in God as believers should not give us a spirit of fear. And really it sh- it, what it does is it eradicates a spirit of fear and that we are free to be brave. And <laughs> And I was like crying as I'm driving and I'm crying to the degree where I just can't even hide it from anybody in the car. So I turn off the song and um, I look back at my kids through the rear view mirror and they can tell I've been crying. And so I begin explaining why I'm crying. And I say, you know, I have been so afraid to do what I know that God is telling me to do. And that's to trust him fully with our future. And what does that mean? Does that mean move that means or selling does that mean the house. sell the house? That means selling the house. Right. So this is a big one that you've shared with me. Because, I mean, up until this point, you you have, just like most men in our late 30s, 40s, 50s, and on, the house is the security point. Yeah. To say, I mean, I feel like you made the comment to me that you might never own a home again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, so now we're about a year removed from that event, and here we are. We've closed escrow on our house, and we're getting ready to move. And really what that house has given us the freedom to do now is we've paid off all our consumer debt. We're walking away with some in our pocket as well. And it's allowed us to be so generous mm. to others in need that – we just never were capable of doing because we were afraid for ourselves and for our own needs. Wow. And that's the beauty of the position that we're in now. So what if I don't own my own home again? That's the idea I'm rebelling against yeah. is the idea of American safety, consumerism, the American fantasy, which doesn't bring satisfaction. That's really exciting, this new chapter. So just of your life, you know. I mean, you guys are packing up Friday, or you're packed up. You're driving Friday, right? Yeah, two days. Two days on this new journey of making a decision, a couple decisions. I mean, one, to not allow the American way to kind of hold you into a certain lifestyle forever. Um, Two, to really think about your spouse's needs. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Yeah, and to trust trust that God loves my spouse more than I could ever love her. Hmm. And when I was saying, when I was too afraid to sell the house, what I was really saying was, I don't trust God enough to care for my spouse 
when I can care for her by owning this house. Right. So had you already been wanting to move to San Diego at that point or were there... No, it wasn't really... At that point, it wasn't an idea of moving anywhere. It was Mm. just letting go of the house. Mm. And then now that we... If we we had chosen to do that, to sell the house as we have, well, then that gives us freedom to make other decisions. So then were you... At that point, you're able to say, where do you want to go? Yeah. So because she followed you with school and jobs... And then you were in a position to say, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so did you guys make that decision together? Did she no, make that No, I decision? told her. I told her that's where we're moving because I knew that's where she would want to live. So how was her response to that? <laughs> she was just... <laughs> I think she was very skeptical as to how real that possibility was. Right. And so she was hesitant to believe whether that was going to really happen or not what would you say that this has done you haven't even got there yet (laughs) but just in that decision that show of love of sacrifice what has that done for your guys's friendship marriage trust yes certainly it builds upon the trust that we have been cultivating in the many years that we've been married already um i say many but it's i mean and and it's going to continue to build yeah Um, And it's not just about trusting each other, too. The beauty of the process that we've walked through has caused us to learn to trust God more together. Mm. And that has been a really wonderful thing for us to grow in together. To release a spirit of fear together. Right. How are your kids responding to this? So you got a ten and twelve year old. So yeah, they're yeah they're really know, excited. At the end of elementary and middle school. Mm-hmm. So is there fear of new town, new new school, that kind of stuff, or is it just a journey? No, and they're excited. No, they're excited for the adventure. I think they were kind of done with the school that they were currently at, and I think the change is going to be good for them. They're looking forward to it. Um, we have a pretty tight family as it is. So the four of you. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all really close. So this kind of adventure that we're going on together, it doesn't feel like they're giving up anything personally. It's This is a family thing. We're doing right. this together, and they're excited for that. So, um, I mean, that's pretty awesome to hear because you think when somebody says, hey, we're moving, right? Because a lot of people have, you know, maybe military or other jobs where they move them around. Um, it's hard on kids. Not that this has happened a lot. This is really the first move for them. But the culture you've created in your house where you guys are a tight-knit group, right? And you do enjoy spending time together because you've cultivated that over time. It's making this easier for you to make decisions kind of corporately, I guess, for your family. Yeah. Did the, Do you think the kids felt a part of the decision? Was that important? Did that not matter? Um, I don't think it mattered. I don't know that we really involved them in the decision other than to inform them that this was likely happening and they trust us um but we weren't i suppose we weren't as quote-unquote careful as perhaps others would be because again what that translates or what that really means is that i'm not trusting god with my children yeah i mean what i even if you were to take that piece out what i hear is like 
you have chosen to put your spouse kind of above those things, which we don't do typically as men to say, you know, the kids aren't going to dictate our life. And I don't mean that mean because I do. Yeah. We do a lot for our kids, right? But there are certain things where you go, I'm I'm with this woman for the rest of my life. There are things I need to do for our relationship, and really, our kids are going to be blessed because of those decisions, right? I mean, there's a lot going on that you're saying your kids trust you. They didn't freak out, right? Yeah. So clearly, you guys are doing lots of other good things where they're trusting you. But I think that that right alone to say this is important for me to do for your mom. And I'm not even going to give her the, because it sounds fun to say, hey, where do you want to move? But you're going, I know you well enough that I know where you're going to find some peace and joy and you're going to be excited. So guess where we're moving? Yeah. Boom. So there's not even any pressure for her to, to feel like, oh, now it's on me if people don't like it or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right. That's so cool. That's exciting. Okay. So one other thing you said to me that I want to bring up, and I'm sure we'll keep talking about it, but this is important to me when I think of rebel and create I feel like I'm living in my good old days right now you know my kids are at home they're 6 to 13 right now which I'm sure I'll always enjoy the seasons of life but you made a comment before we started recording about having an understanding of your mortality now hmm yeah so I'm 40 now and I actually started thinking about the reality of more my of my mortality a couple years ago as I was nearing 40, 37, 38. Now, did you ever care about age, really? Were you ever like, oh, no. God, I'm 30 now? Or, no, people okay. still, I still get carded when I buy a beer. Yeah. So it's like, clearly, I'm not concerned about whether I look my age or not. It's not really the issue. For me, it's in, it's a, it's a reality of time here on Earth. Um, so I started thinking... A couple of years ago, when I was about 38 or so, it was, um, I thought, gosh, you know, I've probably more than likely lived more than half my life, which means I have, you do the math, you don't have to be a mathematician to right. realize you probably then only have less than half your life left. Right. What am I going to do with that? What have I done with it? And what am I going to do with the rest? And it's not because I'm afraid that I don't have enough time because as a Christian, I believe that this is just a, I mean, it is, it is a, it is a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow, this mm -hmm. life. But there's still so much opportunity and possibility. And so realizing that, you know, I likely have less than half my life here on earth left, um, I really wanted to be more thoughtful about the kind of decisions that I make. So was there a specific moment that you can remember, or maybe something you were going through in your life where you thought of your mortality, but you did it in a positive light of like, what do I want to do while I'm here versus, oh gosh, I only have this much time left. Yeah, I think it was... Um one of the last times I saw, I, I went to visit my mom. Um, my mom has always t looked very young for her age. Yeah. And, um, and when I saw her, my first thought was, wow, 
you've aged like 10 years since mm. the last time I saw you. And it was almost as though time had accelerated for her in the aging process. And the man that she's married to now was also going through chemotherapy for cancer. And, you know, we're that time we're really talking about life and death right. situations. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, as my parents get older and I see them getting older um, and my kids get older, I see them getting older, I see them growing up. It only reinforces the reality that, yeah, I'm not... It's not like I'm some dude that never ages. I'm aging just like everybody else is. And I'm going to need to start thinking about things or I'm going to start experiencing things that everybody who is really old around me is experiencing and thinking about too. So is there anything else that's changed for you in the way that you approach your day? Like maybe practically that... I mean, clearly you're moving, selling your house, you're going, hey, some of these things that I thought were important aren't as important. Is there anything else, maybe like a day-to-day practical that you're changed because of your realization that you have, that time is limited? Yeah. You know, honestly, I only really spend my time doing the things that matter. I don't really have any affinity for just what people might call killing time. Scrolling through Twitter feeds, being on Instagram, I have no social media presence whatsoever. And if you do find me on social media, it's fabricated. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't even, I don't bite that bait at all. I don't even put myself in, in a position where I have any, you know, desire or temptation to kill time. So what I choose to do with my day are only things that matter to me yeah. based on, my five core principles and values that I live by. I love it. So let me ask this then, because I know some of so many of us, I kind of think are lied to about, oh, does your job, are you passionate about your job? Which I think makes us think I should be doing my dream job, which I don't think is the same. My dream job would be pro surfer, which is just <laughs> not happening, right? So... That's a tough lifestyle, by the way. Yeah, I wouldn't dig the <laughs> lifestyle, I'm sure. Um, I love this saying. It's uh, somebody out there is doing your dream job, and they hate it, <laughs> right? So, but, but in you saying, I don't do anything that wastes my time, I think sometimes us men show up at jobs, and we go, this is a waste. So how do you take some of your belief around your life and stuff is important and do a job that maybe – not that you don't think is important, but that, <laughs> that um, you know what I mean? It's not like, I don't know, cool and sexy. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I live by five core principles, what I call faith, family, fitness, food, and friends. And those are my five. And if I have a decision to be made that doesn't encompass one of those five things, I just don't do it. I don't, I don't involve myself in it mm-hmm. if it's not going to accomplish one of those things. Now, when it comes to work, I don't have, I don't have career or work in that five. Right. But my faith tells me and my faith dictates how I treat people. Okay. So even if I'm emailing somebody at work or even if I'm on the, fo- I'm on the phone with them or on a webinar with them, their life matters. 
Yeah. They have deep intrinsic worth and value. And so I'm going to communicate to them and with them, assuming so. And I mean, I think that's just simple things like, you know, like I met this gal on a webinar the other day and I had never talked to her before. And it was, we were there for a purpose to be accomplished that was work related, but I know she matters. So my first question to her was, how was your weekend? Hmm. Because I want to know that she, that I am interested in her value as a person, right. not as a attendee on this meeting to accomplish a work-related purpose. I love it. I love it because I even get caught up sometimes going, oh, I feel like I'm wasting my time at this thing. But what you're saying is you could do the same thing, but with a perspective change, you can bring your values as a human into whatever you're doing. Yeah. Which I think is huge because the reality is, is the world needs to go around. There needs to be plumbers and target managers and uh, construction workers and lawyers and attorneys and you name it, like the list goes on, right? And I don't think that we always talk about how we could still be us in whatever career we might find ourselves in. Yeah, Very Which true. I think just comes back, you know, what led us here is the mortality thing. You know, you didn't have necessarily this midlife crisis where you're doing drastic you didn't go buy a car you actually sold all the cars in the house and everything. i did you kind of went yeah. the opposite direction <laughs> sold everything <laughs> <laughs> i know you sell a lot on craigslist from what i, I see i do <laughs> <laughs> um okay so in that let's let's kind of wrap this up with what are some other things that people the typical we spend a lot at target families find interesting if they walked into your home <laughs> so like the way that you live your life, is there anything that is maybe different than what the typical American would feel in the home? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, our kitchen counters are pretty bare. Okay. Like we don't have a lot of the excess fluff appliances like a Keurig or a soda stream or <laughs> even an automatic coffee maker we don't have. Um we don't have a dining room table and chairs. Okay, so that's a strange one. So why? <laughs> because we just have a folding um, table that's about the height of a coffee table. And we'll bring that out for meals. Or it might stay out for you know days at a time. And that's where our, ga- that's where our family gathers for meals and for games or discussion or whatever. Now, is that... Uh... Have you always done that that way? No, it's more recent. So is it more of a space or um, intentionality or culture or... I think it's all of that. It's all those things. Yeah, it's all those things. It's kind of fun too. Yeah, I think it began began with culture, realizing that there is beauty in the close-knit structure that you find in minority cultures especially. You know, I mean, you even look at Hispanic families. It's generations upon generations living under one roof. Right. And that's a beautiful thing for lots of reasons. Right. Um, People are together for a reason. And so, you know, even in the Asian culture, it's very much very similar. You you often take care of your parents. You have your parents move in as they're elderly and you take care of them. You don't ship them out to a boarding home. You don't pay someone else to do that. It's your responsibility. And they gladly do so. So part of it's cultural too, 
Um, but I have found that the experience of choosing to live this way only reinforces why we're doing it because it's so rewarding. Yeah. Um, other things are like, um, you know, you'll find in our bedrooms we don't have mattresses and box springs and just excess furniture. Yeah. It's just we sleep on the floor on a sleeping mat. And when it's not being used, it gets put away. It serves its purpose. It's not there to communicate to guests that come over that I'm a lot more well-off than you are because I have a Tempur-Pedic. Right. And it's a king size. Yeah. <laughs> or I, or I have a – or I have clearly – I'm much higher on the pay scale than you are because I have a seven-piece bedroom set that matches. Right. I mean, not that everyone thinks that way, but if you really think critically – that might be why you got there. Is yeah. the driving forces behind why people choose to make those kinds of decisions? Um, I think, first off, it's fascinating. It's so interesting. And it makes me not question, like maybe initially question, but I shouldn't, and all of us shouldn't be questioning it in a negative sense. It should just be like, think about it. Think about what you're doing. Now, and at the same time, though, we don't all have to be the same. No. I don't have to do what Hoy's doing. Hoy doesn't have to do with my what I'm doing. You know, our living situation is pretty uncommon, uh, which I'll share at some point. But just to think about those things. But if you could be sitting here with us right now, Hoy is super ripped, <laughs> tattooed, <laughs> tattoos, full sleeves, and legs, right? Almost. Almost. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I just want people to get an image of this dude that's sitting here is a freaking rock star. I mean, we've been snowboarding together, surfing together. This guy shreds and is just really a, an incredible human. So, Hoy, I just I want to say, man, it's it's great to know you. Likewise, it's great to be your friend. Likewise, and you are an incredible dad and husband. And seeing you make decisions for your family is so encouraging because. The thought is if the world had more dads that were intentional like you, the world would be a better place. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ned. And you're an inspiration to me, too, because I always think, you know, if Ned can do that with eight kids or however many you have, (laughs) then I can do that with only two. There you go. Right on. So I just want to thank all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That's who your kids, your spouse, your community needs. This is your host, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. Fatherhood.